Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is Jonathan, and I'm joined by Aman. Hi, everyone. Hello. Um, just for reference, this uh, episode was recorded on February 27th, 2020. And how are you doing today, Aman? Uh, I just braved Austin traffic, so kind <laughs> of uh, excited to uh, not stare at a car in front of me the whole time. For some reason, <laughs> it was a, a pink Cadillac. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> but Very uh, exciting. How about you, man? How's your day going? Good, good. I'm uh, excited to talk about Underworlds things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, our first segment uh, will be community shoutouts as normal. Um, my, I had a couple uh, this week. Um, one of them was the uh, Battlecast. He has actually two of his uh, deck guide videos out. Um, one of them was with a friend of the show, Jimmy, uh, and he was talking about the, the guard skeletons and um then the most recent one was on rip a snarl fangs which was with arthur who was at lvo with us so um i think that those videos are probably some of my favorite of the battle cast and i definitely recommend those um and then the other one that i had was the no gets no glory blog um had an article on managing expectations and practicing self-care um and i think that is Possibly my favorite article that maybe was ever written about Underworlds. It's not really about Underworlds, but it has a lot to do with, um, you know, setting goals and um, going into events with the right mindset and then um, sort of analyzing what happens and then uh, going from there. And so I, I, I think you should just go read it, basically. Um, it's really, really good. So I haven't read it because I'm actually working on something similar. Um, oh about analyzing your losses and how to learn from them. Um, but, uh, and I just don't want to get, uh, <laughs> I don't want to plagiarize. Um, but even subconsciously, it might come back to me later. So I'd rather work on my article and then sure. uh, read his. But I've heard great things about it. Uh, I had one shout out. Uh, cool. Shout out to the Steel City crew. They released the third episode of their Chatting Crit miniseries. Uh, it's a podcast that's six episodes long, so they're at the halfway point now. And uh, the whole concept is that they kind of go through Grand Clash uh, preparation, understanding. And so if you haven't heard it, I was on the first episode discussing meta. They did an aggro episode, and their latest episode is focused on objectives. And the title is Objectively Objectifying Objective Objectives. <laughs> So go ahead and check that out. So, That's so what is it Tom about? Bond. Yeah, honestly, I still haven't figured it out yet. But uh, hosted by Tom Bond and uh, Michael Carlin. So go ahead and uh, check them out. Yeah, I listened to it already. I thought it was great. So. Oh, I haven't heard it yet. So I'm looking forward to it. Mm. It doesn't doesn't take me very long to get through podcasts. So. Yeah, you listen on <laughs> double speed. You're crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Um, all right. Well, I think that is it for community shoutouts. Unless you had anything else to add. Uh, no, just go ahead and check out your regular blogs. Uh, a lot of us have been reposting some articles. Actually, plug, I updated my Double Storm Sire build article on Hexes and Warbands. So yeah. you can go ahead and check that out. I made a couple changes to some cards, and I found it to work really well. Um, I've even had a couple uh, other community members try out my deck in private just to see what it looks like. 
and been getting positive reviews so far. So if you want to play something that works uh, <laughs> and um, is a lot of fun doing it and you're not tired of Curse Breakers yet, I highly recommend you check out the uh, the deck. Cool. And actually, I did have one more. Um, John Reese had an article on Can You Roll a Crit um, about playing quickly called Picking Up the Pace. Um, and I thought that was a really good article as well. Yeah. Um, I think especially in competitive events, um, you owe it to the other person to finish three games if you need to. And, you know, they owe it to you. And it had a lot of good tips for, you know, what you can do to play faster and then sort of how to stand up for yourself if uh, you don't feel like the other person is. So. Absolutely. I actually liked how we took or you actually brought two timers to the LVO event. Yeah. And I borrowed yeah. one the whole the whole weekend. And uh, I, I loved it because I just could reference that and my opponent could reference it. And as time was getting short, I'd be like, hey, you know, can we can we pick up the pace? And they even held me accountable as well. So I really like that concept. And so I'm sure John did it justice. Yeah. Yeah. He did a great job. And I don't know if we really talked about it in our uh lvo episode maybe it had something to do with having those timers there but i don't think i had any time issues at all the whole time so yeah most of i only had one game go to game three on the on sunday and then the others were just you know single games but uh yeah i would agree i would agree that uh timing wasn't an issue and i think it's because it was just in your face the whole time yeah i think it helps a lot i guess i would recommend that too if anybody uh, wants to pick those up they're real cheap on amazon like i think i paid like five bucks for both of them so oh nice t- definitely worth it in my opinion um all right well i think that's it for shout outs for real this time that was a that was a mm-hmm. trick um <laughs> so then we'll move to our next segment which is uh the community and personal uh underworlds recap just whatever was, has been going on recently uh in underworlds uh, i think that the the only large event that happened recently was the Prague Open. Um, I guess it was sort of an unofficial uh, event. I don't think it was actually a uh, Grand Clash, but they had 44 players, which is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe they did a cut to top eight and then, uh, you know, found a, a victor. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that later. Um, but before we do that, what have you been up to doing Underworlds, man? Um, we've had a, I've had one recent tournament, uh, since the last episode, uh, that was pretty fun. I played, uh, Lady Harrow's Mournflight. I, they're still one of the competitive war bands that I feel like I've had the least experience with. So wanted to try them out. Um, I kind of went all in on objective play. So that was kind of interesting. I took the, uh, Cryptic Companion and Tome of Glories and I took uncontested. That was interesting. Um, I ended up going two and one. I lost to uh, one of my friends playing uh, Molog with the Earthing Stone. And nice. uh, that is very frustrating when you're trying to hold objectives and Molog's standing there with the Earthing Stone. And he has uh, dualist speed. So every time he does anything, he just pushes back on an objective and your whole side of the board is shut down. Um, yeah. So kudos to Robert for that meta call. <laughs> oh, Robert, Robert got the event. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Robert took, yeah, he beat me and then he ended up taking the glass. So, awesome. and, uh, and the code for the masters. So glad to see that. Um, but yeah, it was a fun event. I played against, uh, orcs and man trappers and then his Moloch. So it was sort of not what I was expecting with the Harrows, <laughs> but 
it was uh, it was a pretty cool event. I think I sort of understand how to play them a little bit more. Um, I'm not sure if they're really the play style that I like, but uh, they're an interesting warband. They're very different than most of the other ones. Yeah, I'll say when I played them in a local event a couple of weeks back, I uh, I definitely leaned heavily into the aggro bit. I mean, I did the whole odd even move through two. So just focus on movement and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. I think you went really heavy into objectives, and I think you just happened to get unlucky because one dude ran the toughest <laughs> fighter in the game and stopped you from holding objectives. And it's really hard to get him off, especially with duelist speed. So. Um, yeah. He also had the one where if you fail an attack against him, he gets to scatter two. <laughs> so once you get all those on Moloch, like it's he can be wherever he wants to be. Yeah. I'm surprised so. you didn't uh, blow him up with some crits. Oh, it's the anguished one who does it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also just, yeah, my dice weren't that great that game. I missed, I think, all but one attack or something. But right. it was, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Sometimes it's just Moloch. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have you been up to recently? Um, honestly, not much, and I'm pretty happy to say that, actually. Um, <laughs> after LVO, I, you know, just felt like I wanted to just relax, and I've been doing a lot of theory crafting, I've been doing a lot of deck building, and I've been doing a lot of reading, but I haven't necessarily been playing very much. I know there are new warbands, and I've definitely had my fun with some of them. Well, both of them, actually. There's only two. But um, uh, the most games I've played have been with Curse Breakers because I was trying to uh, finalize that deck. Uh, but honestly, man, I've just been hanging out, and there are some days where I don't even think about Underworlds, and it's been great. So uh, I think I was uh, just a little burnt out. Not in a bad way, but I think I just wanted to get a clear head. And, uh, you know, I've been playing Dragon Age again on the PlayStation. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, just uh, immersing myself in another game just for a little bit before I know I'll have to jump back into Underworlds uh, real soon. I think after Adepticon, which I'm TOing, by the way, um, in case you uh, anyone wasn't aware. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, after that, I know I'll probably have to get a little bit more serious because uh, they're gonna it's like tournament season, right? So uh, a lot of events coming up, and uh, I'd like to go to Canada to play in Canada's first ever Grand Clash in Alberta. So we'll see what happens. Cool, and we do have the team event at Adepticon as well, so you you do have to be pre- prepare for that a little bit. I actually completely forgot about that until just now. <laughs> so I'm yeah, sure we we'll be played, talking. About we haven't that. played anything. We're we're gonna we're gonna do it, but I don't even think we've really talked about it yet. No, but um, you know, we're Team Path to Glory, and we'll figure it out. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's really been it, and and truly, I've been enjoying the um the reprieve but again you know discord is still i'm always reading the discords i'm always checking facebook just not necessarily uh playing as much but again uh, i can't seem to stay away from the game for too long (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's a great game but i think it's a good idea to take a break every now and then and you know if you're not excited about it then you know there's plenty of other things to do so yeah I'm also waiting for a shipment from Spain. My commission painter is in Spain. And uh, for some reason, he shipped it a month ago. And I, I check it every day on tracking. And <laughs> I, I don't know if it's because of the coronavirus or something. I don't know if shipments are taking longer than usual. 
but like it's never taken that long. Usually I get it in like 14, 15 days, but it's been, it's been over 30 days at this point as of today, it's been 32 days and, um, you know, it still is in, it's been in customs for 15, 16 days in New York. So a little concerned, uh, well, not really concerned. I'm just kind of like, come on, show up already. Cause <laughs> I got my rippers in there. I got some grim watch and I got some, uh, despoilers and I'm uh, really excited to take the rippers to an event. Um, once I get them. Very cool. Yeah. All but right. Enough about, enough about me. <laughs> um, so do you want to talk about the Prague open? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting event actually. Um, so, so, uh, the, so it's really interesting cause I think it's, it's a weird meta. Um, and I think it's our first, like, as you mentioned, event post, um, the release of the new warbands, but it's, it wasn't an official event and it's in the Czech Republic. So I'm not really sure what that meta is like. I'm sure there's some great players there, but I, the results are a little interesting to me, I think, because in the top eight, you only have one objective-based warband, which is the Thorns of the Briar Queen. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got second, which doesn't surprise me because they're a really good warband. Uh, but there's no Grimwatch, which I found particularly interesting. And I think that... So the first time I saw this, and I think we were just talking about this right before the show, but we tabled it because we wanted to talk about it here, was I think that it's not indicative of what actually the meta is going to look like. And I think it's a bit of a fluke. I think interest in other warbands seems to be a driving factor in this event. I think mm-hmm. it's more fun to play Rippas or Man Trappers. Or, there's even a Profiteers player in here who got fifth. And I think the reason behind that is because um, it's really easy to play the broken stuff. Curse Breakers, Thorns, and um, Grimwatch. And because there's no official prize support, at least that I, that I know of, I can see this being as like, obviously I want to go to this event and win, but I'm not necessarily going to try to like meta slave the event. And I think mm. here, I think that's the case. I could be very wrong, but Ripa's winning the event is awesome. I think it's super cool. Uh, Ripa's getting third is also really cool. They've been, they're a good war band. I don't see why they didn't. We don't know what got fourth. Um, at uh, least that- it's not. That was Thorns, yeah. Oh, so Thorns got four. So what got second then? Was it Man Trappers? Thorns. It was. Oh, so there, there were two Thorns, three Rippers, one uh, Profiteers, and nice. two Man Trappers. Okay. In the top eight. Yeah. So, so a little bit more warband diversity than we're used to. Um, in fact, yeah. some completely different warbands. Um, but I'm not really sure if it's really that indicative of the state of the meta. Now, I know double distraction is in play. In some cases, like Lady Harrow's, you have four. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, really. Um, and maybe, I'm, maybe I've got it all wrong, but I'm looking at this deck. So if you want, we can open up this first place Ripa's deck. And we can take a look at it. Sure. And just looking at this deck, I mean, you know, Calculated Risk, Combination Strike, Fired Up, Opening Gambit, Cruel Hunters leading the charge. No Mercy, Loaded with Plunder, Gathered Momentum, Cover Ground, all seem like staples. And then we have a new card, Team Effort, which seems awesome for the Ribas. 
mm-hmm. two or more surviving friendly fighters, and each of them has made one or more actions. And then Blaze of Trail, which is each surviving friendly fighter is in enemy territory and adjacent to one enemy, to no enemy fighters, which I guess you can finagle that, and it doesn't mm-hmm. say there's no limit. So pretty standard deck. I think what this person did is um, they it, well I don't know if they did, but it looks very similar to Michael Carlin's deck that he posted in his article, and then you mm-hmm. just add some of the newer cards, and then the gambits look like the same thing. Here we've got double distraction, we've got all the movement buffs, we've got anti-objective play, and we've got accuracy cards. And then Commanding Stride, because, you know, you need it for Ripa. And then in the upgrades, Bonded, Spirit Bond, uh, Prize Vendetta. Sudden Growth is interesting to me, but it makes sense. Because yeah. you need Ripa to survive. And once he's kind of in the enemy range, um, you know, three three movement is is great still. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the deck's pretty standard. I'm not really seeing what's so special about it. But maybe that's a good thing. Um, maybe aggro is back. I still am not convinced, but um, I'm really curious as to see like why, like why this deck won. And and before I get into Thorns deck, I feel like I'm kind of ranting now a little bit. Like, what do you, what are your thoughts on this deck? <laughs> um, so I do think that Ripas uh, have. I think that ever since they've come out, I think they've been a, a pretty solid warband. Yeah, agree. Um, I think that. I'm not surprised to see them win things. Um, they had a you know, relatively positive um, stats in the last quarter. And the interesting thing about the new release and the new cards, and I think we'll probably talk about this in a little bit more depth later, but the interesting thing is um, I don't think it really made objective play much better. Um, and so just the, by the fact that you know Rippus did get a few more options like uh, Blaze of Trail, like Team Effort, um, and then everybody having another distraction. I don't. I really don't think you can overlook that. Um, I think that, and really, the only thing objective play got was Cryptic Companion, but that's not that hard to play around, and you can just distract them off of it, um, or mischievous spirits it away, you know, and, and things like that. Um, so, interestingly, I'm I'm not that surprised that objective play isn't. Uh, I'm I, I don't think that it got better. Um, I especially think that having two distractions is really big right now. I think that having another distraction in Nightmare in the Shadows, which is just a copy of it, I think that that makes it much more difficult for the objective warbands to get their end phase cards, like Supremacy, like Dug In, like uh, Uncontested, or not Uncontested, uh, Coveted Spoils. Um, it's just one more push that they have to counter. And in my experience, if I have two distractions, you probably need four pushes to counter that reliably over the course of, you know, three games. So that's an interesting point, because if you look at this Thorns deck, it's mm-hmm. got uh, Shadow Step. It's And you, that technically can count as a push if you have an objective in No Man's Land. Um, you've got two sure. steps forward. You've got... Restless Prize, and you've got Quickening Greaves. So yeah, I guess it is light on the pushes now that I'm looking at it. Um, and so maybe that's what got them. Because this deck runs Coveted Spoils and Dug In, which mm-hmm. I find very interesting. Because like, you can't... I would, I highly doubt you score Coveted Spoils ever against Rippas. Um, Probably not, yeah. And then I know he's taking in and making, which... Okay, fine, maybe you... 
burn that fifth one and you get coveted spoils, but it just seems like this deck is trying to do too many things at once. Um, and maybe that was a good thing because it gave this player the ability to uh, react and adapt on the fly. But in this situation, I'm looking at this deck and I'm looking at the first place deck and I would give it to the Rippus player every time just because there's a lack of uh, cohesion here that I'm, I'm just not understanding. Even the fact that you have uh, Howling Vortex and Sudden Appearance, you know? Like, this guy didn't even take... Um, uh, what's the card that, if someone misses you, uh, you oh. uninspire them? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Maddening Cackle. Maddening Cackle, yep. yeah. Like, he didn't even take Maddening Cackle. And that, like, that won me my Ripa's games at LVO. I Maddening Cackle mm-hmm. Ripa twice. Um, yeah. And dug in really helps there, but I don't know. I'm not seeing it. And then, you know, there looks like there's an aggro build into it as well, which is fine. But burning a restricted slot for Tome of Offerings doesn't make sense when you already have 21 glory in your power deck. Yeah, I think so. looking at the second place Thorns deck, um, and if we, if you go to day one, um, you know he was undefeated in the first day, and then uh, he only lost. Uh, only lost to Rippa's in the uh, the last one. Right. So it, obviously something worked with that deck. Right. Um, I, I actually think it is a pretty solid deck if what you're expecting to see is other objectives. Um, you can fight for dug in and supremacy, you know, and then Covenant Spoils is a good backup. Um, he really doesn't have a lot of damage. No Glory Seeker, um, just great strength. So, you know, if the Great Strength is in the bottom of your deck, you're going to have a real hard time killing three Rippas. No um, Withering either. Yeah, I mean, that basically Great Strength is it, um, which is interesting. Um, so I think the plan would be, with this deck, would be to, you know, just win off of objectives. And I bet that um, this plays pretty good into other Thorns. I bet it plays pretty good into a lot of the bigger war bands, but I think it would have a weakness against some of the smaller ones. So in that particular matchup, I'm not too surprised. Um, the interesting thing about Cryptic Companion is that, you know, it's a great glory generator, but it doesn't help you kill anything and it doesn't help you stick around. <laughs> so, uh, like that's, that's one objective slot taken, you know, that, or um, upgrade slot taken that maybe you would have had glory seeker in there before, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, maybe it replaces crown of avarice if you had that in there. Uh, but just because, you know, objective play got a couple more cards, they already had a lot of great cards. So they're trading something good for something else that they were playing before that was good. So uh, it's interesting because all of the all these cards are really good, um, but they just can't fit everything they need. So I'm wondering if maybe a successful Thorns deck would be one that flexes a little bit more. Well, actually, I would... I think this one flex too hard. I agree that there's not enough aggro, but I and, and maybe flex is the wrong word here. Uh, but I think this this warband or this deck in particular is to me a little all over the place. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it worked. So congratulations to the player who piloted this deck. They could have very easily won the event. Uh, they made it to top table. I just think that um, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he needed to flex more into aggro. It looks like he just focused it straight on objectives, but... I, yeah, th- this would be what I would consider to be like a skew list. Yeah. Where almost the only thing that he cares about 
is objectives. Um, and if you can't handle, like, if, if the other person is also trying to do objectives, this this deck probably beats it. So, so I guess the point I'm trying to make, though, is that if you're going to rely so heavy on objectives, where mm-hmm. are your push cards? Yeah. I mean, you know? I mean, I, I th- there's some in there. And there he has yeah, I know there's search, some. But... but if your entire game plan relies around holding three tokens on the board, yeah, I think you need to, like, quadruple down on it. Um, or make it to where, uh, you know, you can't, it's very hard for your fighters to die. Uh, so, I mean, he took a lot of the standard cards I would assume you would take with thorns. Um, but I think there were just some power step decisions that I just don't agree with or power card, excuse me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think maybe instead of shadowed step, I might've considered the one that switches people, um, I don't know if I like unmaking. I could see it being useful sometimes, but it's kind of hard to fit in there. Um, I, I think really the only other push I can think of would be sidestep. Of course, sidestep's great. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting it's interesting to see um, this kind of meta call because I think this deck is good at doing what it's trying to do. Um, it just I think, and at least in that final game, I don't I don't think it could pull off its game plan as well as it probably wanted to um but it's interesting yeah i guess you can't argue with the results i just yeah for me just looking at this deck and looking at all the cards and being pretty familiar with the warband i just don't see how you consistently are scoring so high i mean i i guess i do see it in the fact that you know if you get three objectives mm-hmm. and you hold them you score but I mean, maybe I'm discounting some of the cards in here, but I guess what's really bothering me is Coveted Spoils and Dug In. Um, well, what don't you like about uh, what don't you like about that? Well, I think that they're two really big scorecards, mm-hmm. and I think you have to be committed to trying to score one or the other because in this situation, like, what what if your opening hand is Dug In, Coveted Spoils? and supremacy and you have two objectives you set a board and then you play into an aggro warband like what happens yeah i mean that does seem like the worst case scenario i guess you have to go for supremacy yeah and it's like how do you well you have to go for supremacy because if you get it once then maybe you can score into dug in (laughs) but there's no way you're getting coveted spoils but if you throw away that hand that's 10 glory so now your deck went from 21 to 11 and so maybe that's where Tome of Offerings <laughs> comes into play. But I would be so afraid of drawing that hand the whole event. Yeah, um, or even and, two of those three. Yeah, and this is coming from yeah. someone who used to consistently take Combination Strike and Victory After Victory and Opening Gambit in my decks, you know? <laughs> like, that yeah. was an, I was always afraid of that. It never happened to me, thank God, but in this situation, <laughs> you know, like, I would, like, I know that if I took this combination of cards, it would happen, and so that's I personally just don't like it. It's maybe it's a preference, um, and uh, but I don't know. Maybe you know. I mean, it, it does show that this warband or this play style of holding as many objectives as you can still succeeds in a double distraction meta. So I think that's definitely yeah. one thing to consider. Yeah, it clearly did. I mean, it must have been able to pull it off uh, at some point. So it's kind of hard to say um, just looking at the deck and then. 
uh, looking at the deck that beat it, what happened, you know. But because yeah. I mean, even even with your deck, which I think was probably a little bit more equipped at LVO to uh, handle Rippos. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, both of those games at the in the semifinal were what either two glory or zero glory, like tiebreaker wins. So yeah, no, um, I definitely think that it's un- the yeah. thorns are unfavored in the Rippos, hundred percent. Um, yeah. Unless you can get the queen to go off nasty for no reason. <laughs> right. But um, uh, I, it, this just makes it seem like you don't have a game into it, I guess, is the is my problem. Is like if you know you have a weakness, you should at least attempt to combat it. But in this situation, it just seems like he may have just been like, you know what, I'm going to lose to Rippers anyway, so I'm just going to go all in <laughs> on objectives. Yeah, and that's where a lot of this stuff can come down to a meta call. Like, you know, I, we don't really know what was popular in that area or if, you know, people have been playing Rippas over there or, you know, people expected a lot of objective play. And sometimes I think it can be the right move to take something that you just don't think what's popular can handle. Um, and then other times, you know, maybe you make the wrong call and it's not. So that's always an interesting, like, uh, part of the meta game. I think this person could have taken a a less greedy objective deck and <laughs> flexed into aggro a tad bit more and probably gotten the same result. Yeah, that's definitely possible. I, I actually, because like, and I don't want to talk about this guy's deck too much. And if you're listening, guys, <laughs> I mean, congratulations again for doing so well at the Prague Open. But I just find this deck so fascinating because it did so well. But it's like, it almost like, is something completely different to what I would do. Um, and don't get me wrong, like my LVO deck had a lot of similar cards. Um, yeah. But again, you know, that flex aspect I think is so important. And here, you know, you could have cut out like maybe Shadowed Step and Unmaking, um, maybe uh, Potion of Constitution, uh, maybe even Larval Lance. And just thrown in like some ac- some strength cards um, or some accuracy inducing cards, and now you've got a warband that can flex into fighting those wolves. Because in the games that I played, and of course I can only reflect on my own experience here, like I threw everything I had at those wolves. Like I was charging chain wraps in, hoping yeah. to do like one damage. Um, and I think with the worm spat existing. Um... I think you have to be ready. I, I think you have to take more damage and flex into aggro more. Agreed. Um, because with Worms, Bat, and Rippas, to a lesser extent, uh, Condemners, and then to a greater extent, Curse Breakers, sometimes you're going to have to kill a couple four health fighters. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a so, great point. So what does this deck do into Curse Breakers? If you have Unmaking, Yeah. and he, un, let's say you Unmaking <laughs> one, right? Because you're like... Haha, ha, I'll get coveted spoils, and then he unmakings another one. Or even if that situation doesn't come into play, he unmaking something, it ruins your game plan, and then he murders you. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit too um, critical, and I'm, yeah. I think I might be cognizant of that, but um, <laughs> I, I am very interested. Again, 100% congratulations to the person who piloted this deck. I think it was a great performance i think you should be very proud of yourself um it's i guess it's just very easy to look at a deck and and pick it apart so and i'm cognizant of that people have done that to me on other podcasts um but i just think that um 
I think it's a great discussion. So uh, I hope the person who played this deck doesn't mind. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's a very interesting deck. Um, were there any other decks that you wanted to talk about from the event? Yeah. So I think we can't have an episode without discussing profiteers. And <laughs> This uh, is America, after all. Well, yeah, but also because we both love the Warband. Well, I love it. I mean, you, you do what you got to do, but uh, I really enjoy them. So uh, fifth place, Prague Open. Um, so this deck really fascinates me. And um, I guess we haven't been as uh, informative about the deck choices or the card choices in these decks. So I'm just going to run through this objective deck very quickly. Headshot, Live by the Code, Combination Strike, Death from Afar. Fired up, keep chopping, opening gambit, solid gains, what armor, steady aim, warning shot, unexpected pitfall. So 14 glory. And in the upgrades, there's no Tome of Offering, which I found very fascinating. Um, So instead, this individual decided to go with Spirit Bond. Um, The rest of the gambits and the upgrades are fairly standard for a Profiteer's deck. Um, this time, though, we've got Collapse instead of Encroaching Shadow. And uh, in the upgrades, again, no Tome of Offerings, but standard run-of-the-mill stuff. And so I think this is really fascinating because despite the fact that you only have 14 Glory stock in your deck with no additional Glory multipliers, you are getting fifth in a 44-man event. is pretty impressive. And I think this kind of comes down to Ripa's having a really tough time into Profiteers. Uh, I've seen games where Ripa's can just charge three times and get three kills, uh, which is always uh, amusing. But then there's moments where, like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the dwarves are kind of tough, and if you can inspire quickly, uh, it's a field day. You know, like, let's say, hypothetically, uh, Stab at charges misses, Wolf misses. Now you get to shoot him with four dudes. Um, So I think it's a good meta call, and it's very fascinating to me that despise, or sorry, despite 14 glory, this deck did so well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's an interesting deck. I mean, I I would say that I in these days, um, I think in Night Vault, my minimum glory, I tried to make it 16. Um, if I could get 17, I would go for that. Um, I would say right now in Beast Grave, my I try to make my minimum 15 especially for aggro. Um, but looking at this deck, I'm not really sure. I guess I would maybe change out something for... Um, what's their two glory card that uh, rewards them for having five glory unspent? Um, you know, I should really know this. Yeah. Profits. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would consider maybe taking that one. But the interesting thing is... You know, maybe sometimes you wouldn't be able to score that, whereas you would be able to score solid gains. So I'm less troubled by the 14, I guess. Um, I am surprised to see that there's no Tome of Offerings. Um, But then there's also there's two health upgrades, which can help you not give up glory. Um, I would probably have tried to fit Crown of Avarice in there, which is a lot of the time sort of like having another glory. Um, I'm a little surprised there's no Cryptic Companion, but it looks like this is just an aggro deck. Yeah. um, That's pretty interesting to me. Uh, Sound finances, by the way. Sound finances, yeah, yeah. So I can see considering, you know, putting that one in. I think it's really difficult to get a 
uh, profiteers decked above or at 16 glory without uh, temporary victory in it. Um, because it's really just hard to find a three glory objective that is reliable, um, and it's hard to fit four two glory end phase cards. So mm-hmm. um, usually most of my decks will have ideally, you know, three uh, or four two glory cards in it to get to 16. But nowadays it seems like a lot of the time it'll end up being three. Yeah. Um, unless I'm playing objectives and then I have supremacy and then I have, you know, whatever else. Right. Um, so then I'm usually closer to 18, uh, you know, maybe 20. So, um, but it, it is interesting. I mean, it's a, it's, there's a purity to this deck that is kind of nice. Like it, it, it knows exactly what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably easy to play, which I think, um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Like I, I don't, I don't mean that it's, uh, you know, simple or I just mean that it, it, it knows what it's trying to do. And I don't know how much, um, how stressful it would be to play over a large event, which I think is actually a big factor when it comes to some of these decks. Right. Um, I think that I think you were talking about it at the LVO experience, how um, just complicated Thorns was and how you know difficult to play. Um, you found it, so uh, I think there's a I think and, and we've both played you know Profiteers and different aggro variants of different warbands and like when we played Wild Hunt, um, I think there's a straightforwardness to it that can be nice. So I I completely agree. I think the the purity that you're referring to is is so refreshing to me. In a meta in which every, it just seems like you have to think a lot. Which again, competitive game, don't mind it. But um, I just think it's really cool to see that this style of deck. Uh, I think it's maybe because I really enjoy it so much, and I played it very uh, for a long time. It's still viable, um, and I think that I think this person getting fifth without ton of offerings is pretty huge, because usually I'm trying to get 15 glory with my profiteers decks. And then have Tome of Glory in there. Or Tome of Offering, excuse yeah. me. So. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't played them recently, but I feel like I would take... If I didn't take Temporary Victory, which I think is a big question, if I did just go aggro, I think I would still take Crown of Avarice, still take Tome of Offerings. Yeah. Um, I might even take Cryptic Companion, because it's just pretty likely I'll be able to do something with it. Yeah. So, very interesting. But, I mean, that, out. you know... That would be a hit to my damage and durability in my upgrades. So, you know, so maybe that's maybe that would be something that uh, might not always be worth it. So. Yeah, I think the one change I would make is just spared bond for uh, offerings. But uh, I yeah. mean, it's very fascinating. Um, moving on, there's one more deck that I really wanted to talk about, and this is a sixth place Frothcorn Man Trappers deck. This deck is very fascinating to me. Um, and I can see why it didn't, like, maybe win the event, but I can see the, why it had the potential, too. And I think that's very cool. So, uh, objectives, we've got Calculated Risk, Combination Strike, Digging Deep, On a Roll. And for those of you unfamiliar with On a Roll, it's uh, if you score at least four other objective cards in this round. We have Opening Gambit, Arm of the Everwinter, expected, Unexpected Cunning, Aggressive Strategy, Frantic Exchange, which is after a fifth or subsequent power card is played in the same power step, can be by you or your opponent. Gathered momentum, scrum, and to the end. And to the end is kind of very fascinating to me. It's because you score this if there are no power cards left in your deck, which I think is really cool. So this deck kind of works in that you just, you kind of do some of the normal man trapper things that you want to, 
but you're also just drawing a crap ton of cards. And what helps you draw those cards in the gambits? So you've got Frozen Earth, Noblar Scramble, more traps, Frenzied Search, which is a draw engine, Nightmare in the Shadows, Reckless Prize, Unexpected Peril, Unnatural Truce, again, another draw engine, Daylight Robbery and Distraction. And in the upgrades, again, Glory Seeker, Tome of Glories, Tome of Offerings, Blazing Soul, Quickening Greaves, which again was really cool. Uh, but that's because it has Cryptic Companion, Massive Bulk, Tough and Hide, Veteran Hunter, and Hunter's Reflexes. And Veteran Hunter is another draw engine. So just by playing the cards in your power deck, you can draw five. And then you can drop the two more with one action. And you can repeat that action four times if you wanted to. So you're always going to draw your cards, which I think is fascinating. You're probably always going to score to the end, unless all your draw cards are at the bottom. And um, th- this person really flexed into holding objectives with their Noblars through Tome of Glory's Cryptic Companion, uh, and Quickening Greaves really helps that. And I think Blazing Soul kind of is a small workaround around Hrothgorn's uh, Inspire mechanic where he has to eliminate someone right next to him. So I think it's a really cool deck, and I really kind of want to have fun with it and expand upon it, because um, I think this person did a really good job. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting deck. Um, it's cool to see these kind of decks, because um, like it's not what you would obviously think of, I think, um, when you first see the Warband. Um, being able to basically just it's it's kind of builds into the card game aspect of it more than the you know the dice and the tabletop aspect of it um but in a different way than some of the other decks that we've seen um that like a tome deck or like a relic deck or something like that um it's basically just trying to cycle itself out um on a roll is a really interesting card to me um it seems like it would be kind of hard to score but i guess if all of your other uh, cards are pretty easy to score, and then you just have to, you know, get. You might be able to do it. Um, I'd be interested to know how often he scored on a roll, because um, mm-hmm. he also has combination strike, and if you draw both of those in one turn, that could be really annoying. Um, aggressive strategy. I'm not a big fan of that card either. I feel like a lot of the time it just slows down the rest of your deck, but um, and he doesn't have a way to speed up his objective deck really. Um, so all of that is very interesting to me. Um, but he was undefeated in the first day and, um, you know, did pretty well the second day. So, um, obviously there's something there. Um, so I'm, I'm also kind of interested to try this style out and see, uh, see how it works. Uh, The other thing that's really interesting is, um, this deck looks like it is a nightmare to play against if you need objectives. Because it has frozen earth, it has more traps. Um, I think I would prefer the uh, leave nothing to chance over more traps. I'm wondering wonder uh, about that choice, but um, but you know either way, uh, that's two ways to to remove objectives, and then distraction, nightmare in the shadows, restless prize. So basically he has five cards in there and then a bunch of card draw. So he's probably almost always going to have those cards mm-hmm. um, that will really just mess up your day if uh, you're trying to get anything to do with objectives. So um, I'm not surprised to see it do well in a meta that you know makes objectives so important. And I wonder if there are other decks um, you know, that are viable that 
you know, are able to destroy as many objectives as well. I, I've seen some people try to play this with three or more ways to destroy or flip objectives and um, Arm of the Everwinter and Scorched Earth for, you know, even more reward for doing it. So um, I think that's a pretty cool style as well. I think this was a interesting meta call as well um, mm-hmm. because... And first of all, great points. I agree with everything you said. Um, but also, this deck doesn't. This deck is probably uh, does really well, as you mentioned, against objective warbands. But it doesn't do too hot against aggro. And if you look at the day two, all the warbands that uh, topped, aside from two, uh, or I, I guess out of the the top eight, this deck and the two thorns deck were a bit more passive. The other five were aggro, and. I guess objectives naturally lose to aggro, and then in this case, um, if you get those early Noblar kills, it's really hard for your opponent to um, do some of those shenanigans with Tome of Glory and Cryptic Companion. So, very, very... I think it was the right meta choice, or meta pick, and that's probably why he did so well, but probably why the other people did so well as well is because they are doing aggro. So... Yeah, and I think what I'm wondering, just, you know, this event being the first data point, and we'll get more uh, information as more uh, events happen and we play more games. I'm wondering if now we've sort of reached the point where if you tech for it, you can sort of reliably, um, you know, at least much more than in the last quarter, um, you know, I wonder if you can sort of start to beat objective warbands with aggro warbands with the right tech. Um and then, well, then what you have to worry about is the the matchup that isn't objectives. So it's kind of an interesting rock paper scissors of uh, counter objective objective and then counter counter objective. <laughs> it's like so. you're playing rock paper scissors within rock paper scissors. Um, yeah, kind of is. And it's real fascinating. I and I think the inevitable question here is like, are thorns and grimage past their prime? Um, I would like to see a couple more events before I can truly say whether it is or not. Um, but I don't think so. Again, I think it was a, um, a very heavily focused aggro event. It seems like there is a preference there for, uh, either anti-objective play, which is the meta, which makes sense, or conversely aggro play. Um, and so, uh, I don't know if this is unnatural decline for the Grimwatch. I think you'll still see the Grimwatch and Thorns do very well. And I'm looking forward to uh, Adepticon because I think that's going to really be the the day that we can get a concrete answer on that or as close to as a concrete answer as we can get. Yeah, I think so, Um, at least in the American meta. I don't think there's a UK event, unfortunately. you know, coming anytime soon. So yeah, um, I, it is also I think worth mentioning that it's not like you know none of the objective warbands. It's not like they all did po- very poorly. Um, I think all the Grimwatch players. Uh, I think there were top sixteen, three or four of them. Um, yeah, most of them were three and one. Only one of them was two and two. Um, and then you know the two of the Thorns players did very very well, made it to the top eight, and then. Mm-hmm. There was only one uh, Thorns player that uh, went one and three. So um, it's you know and, and like you like you said, it seemed like there was a lot more aggro um, there. There were tons of curse breakers, tons of uh, worm spat, 
and Rippas and uh, Man Trappers is very popular. So um, it'd be interesting to see how, what the meta, how it settles. But my, I would suspect that Thorns and Grimwatch are still quite good, um, but I don't think they're quite where they were before either. Um, I also don't think they can play the same way as they were before. I think they're going to have to adapt a little bit. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Top three warbands to you. Go. <sighs> um, I would say probably Thorns, Grimwatch, Cursebreakers, okay. Arrows. I, I think they're all... I think, yeah. I think those are still my top four. Same. I just I just wanted to confirm yeah. where your head was at because... Um, yeah. But I, I do think, think I do think the chasm. I, I felt like before this update, we had like a like a chasm between. Like they were head and shoulders above the rest. Right, and I would my I would expect that the thorn the thorns and Grimwatch uh, win rate goes down um, mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, it was at like sixty percent for thorns in the last quarter. Um, I would I would be surprised if it went, got higher, and I think it'll go a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still absolutely a competitive warband. Um, and just the fact that you have to tech specifically for them to beat them um, sort of just shows their power, you know. Yeah. No, I think yeah. that makes sense. Um, and then, I mean, Grimwatch haven't got any less ridiculous, you know. Oh, yeah, they're still silly. Um, yeah. you, we, I mean, there may be a few more tools that you can use now to tech against them like i'm a pretty big fan of the leave nothing to chance where you can just destroy an objective like i think that's just good um and then having another distraction i like that too so but they also got cryptic companion sure yeah so that is uh another way to passively score with that (laughs) it is but it's a little bit telegraphed um and you know there's twice as many distractions out there and you can you know, especially for thorn with thorns, you can just kill the chain house that's holding it. Um, the ghoul, yeah. Or the ghoul for Grimwatch, yeah. So, and I mean, I guess the ghoul could come back, but then he has to get on that objective. So, I, I personally haven't seen Cryptic Companion to be like I think it's definitely great, but I don't. It doesn't seem. I don't know if it's all that it's been cracked up to be. I don't know if I've seen it get more than about one or two glory in a game. Um, and I'm I'm just not sure how often that's what wins you the game. Well, let me ask you something. Um, sure. You, If an upgrade can score you one glory a game, do you take it? Yeah, I think you take it. Yeah. yeah. So, I just so. don't know if it's... Um, I'm not convinced that it's the power spike to those warbands that we might think it was, we might've thought it was initially. Right. That makes sense. A lot of the time I see it get one glory. And I mean, sometimes a game is decided by one glory. Um, But I mean, there are a lot of other upgrades, especially early in the game that might be more useful. Um, And I do think, and this is something they mentioned on the chat and crit. It does kind of force your, the opponent to spread their target priority a little bit. If it comes out early, Um, you know, you have to kill that. You, You do need to kill it. Um, so that can be an advantage as well. I agree. I think yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily like a power spike. I think it's an easy one glory, and for a warband already trying to camp on objectives, it just it just further accentuates that game plan. And I think 
that one extra glory, while it may sound measly, can lead to survival instincts on the Duke or yeah. uh, a great strength or just a lot of ways to just further accelerate and um, reinforce your game plan. So, uh, I, you know, you could easily switch that out with um, – uh, man, I'm blanking today hard. <laughs> um what's the one where you get a glory if you if your opponent kills your fighter oh crown of avarice yes jesus crown of avarice <laughs> you could just put cryptic companion in and there's your one glory um yeah you know and yeah it, and and the the plus size is or the plus side excuse me is that you can get up to three same like tome of glories you mm-hmm. know it's not necessarily like a crazy card but like you always remember the time where your opponent gets it out first turn and then the scores three glory on you. And what is a little bit silly is when you start combining cards that are like that. So if mm-hmm. you get Cryptic Companion and Tome of Glories and Crown of Avarice on a ghoul, yeah. <laughs> he might get you more glory than <laughs> anything else in that game. But, which is which is something to think about. Sure. Um, yeah. I I know people have doing that been doing that with the worm spat. They'll take those on Fecula and then they just sit her in the back and that's annoying. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, Tony's been like letting me know that he's he he's mortified of that combo of cryptic <laughs> companion and tome of glories, right? So, sure. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, uh, so I mean, I think right now you put it in almost every deck that will be on an objective. Um, so no, no, I'm not arguing with that. Um, I just don't, uh, I don't think it's going to have the impact that we have seen some other cards have, like. Uh, you know, Tomo Offerings or something like that. But interestingly, you may take it instead of Tomo Offerings on some decks because it's not restricted. Right. And you can still get your passive glory generation. Yeah. Because a lot of the time you only get one or two glory with Tomo Offerings. So. Yeah. And as we all know, that one or two glory can be huge. <laughs> yeah. It can, can make or break it sometimes. Yeah. Well, enough about these prog open decks. Um to all the players who did very well and whose decks we talk about thank you for participating in that event congrats on doing so well and um you know providing us for this awesome discussion um yeah it's a great look at the the early meta i mean it's uh you know it's the most successful that people have been so far and it'll be cool to build off those ideas i think agreed agreed Cool. Well, I think uh, we'll move on to our next uh, segment, which was listener questions and thoughts. Um, we actually asked the Discord um, earlier what their thoughts on the uh, current meta were, and we had some uh, interesting feedback. Um, the first one is from Michael Carlin at Steel City, and he says, I have some feedback on the new expansions. All hail curse breakers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this Sounds probably has right. a lot to do with uh, some of your ideas on curse breakers. So why don't you? How do, how do you think they're doing right now compared to the last cycle? I think they got better. I think um, so. Inadvertently, whenever we see a magic user come out, there are universal cards that attempt to complement that uh, wizard. And so in this case, we got Facula, um, and she is uh, a pretty decent wizard on her own. And I think there are some universal cards that really try to play into the fact that she's a wizard. Uh, inadvertently, because we have a warband made up entirely of wizards, 
I think that's where the obviously most of the benefits go to. So we have like rising power, which is just roll three dice whenever you're casting a spell, or um, arcane torrent, which is hit the same person twice with a magic attack, um, or in uh, in other ways, uh, the Jared's sphere, right, the lost pages, which is a upgrade that's a ranged magic attack um and so i think what there was a slight oversight was that you know allowing these cards to exist in the same vein as the curse breakers i think has been slightly problematic in that they just got better and they have no um they have no uh, there is no signs of them slowing down i mean the fact that you can literally make a second storm sire through the sphere through Arcane Savant, which makes your Amos Arasis level two, means that you can have you can be more aggressive with Stormsire, which has been like a crippling point to that warband. The concept has always been take out Stormsire, and you kind of got the game in the bag. But now you might not necessarily you might not necessarily have that game in the bag, because a second Stormsire can pop up mid game and can kind of keep doing what Stormsire was doing, keep spamming spells. Uh, shooting, you know, mini fulminations, or in this case, Jared Sphere with Ensnare, um, and then you make it two damage by, you know, either Lightning Whip or uh, Tempest Might. So, pretty, pretty neat way of putting a lot of synergy in that deck, and then just reinforcing the fact that, you know, they're a very strong warband, and any Magic card ever just literally makes them stronger. Um, yeah, I mean they'll they'll always be the best Magic Warband, uh, hopefully, <laughs> um, just because they have three wizards and uh, we haven't seen anything even close to that before, or since I mean. Um, so, I guess I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think they're better? Do you think like how much better do you think they got? Did you think that they're because I don't think I've played I've played against them once, but I haven't played with them since the update. Um, do you think they're up there with Thorns, Thorns and Grimwatch? Do you think they have? Do you think they still have bad matchups? Like, how would you put their power right now? So it's a very interesting question. So in 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 the giant scheme of things, or in the totem pole of warbands, I wouldn't really move them very much. I mean, they're they were an S tier warband. Um, I think a, um, or at least very close to. But now I think they're they what happens is they do better into their better matchups. Uh, but their worst matchups are roughly the same. And what I mean by that is that now they are better at taking out ghouls and chain rests. They are better at taking out horde warbands, which I think has always been their strength, inherently. Right. I think I think their weakness comes from that hard aggro, you know, that fast, hard aggro, Ripa's wild hunt. Um, and I think that uh, they still suffer from that. There are no defensive upgrades. I mean, there is... Uh, siphon spirit or spirit siphon um where you can get someone to three dodge at the end of the game um, and eldridge ward and yara's instant shield are pretty good i think no absolutely but you there are no new defensive upgrades. oh, oh gotcha saying. gotcha yeah right so they're so the in terms of how easy or how consistent they have been to eliminate that hasn't changed at all so what you've done is you've right. traded you haven't really traded anything you've just enhanced their offensive power so what you're able to do now is you're you're able to get more aggressive, it, namely with Swarmsire, which I think is worth its weight in gold at this point because 
he literally single-handedly carries that warband. I mean, Amos is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Rassus is great. But, like, if you just watch that final from Warhammer World, Stormsire did everything. Right, and especially in the current build where you're casting a lot of spells and you're uh, trying to get him tooled up with Tome of Offerings and just yeah. farming everything. Well, yeah. But it's also you're relying on those two dice because he's a level two wizard. Right, right. Right. But now you can make another level two wizard with the same attack profile plus ensnare. I mean, it's a bit silly um, mm. in a fun way. Like I haven't had this much fun just doing such silly stuff. But I think I also just love like aggro, um, mm-hmm. like like surgical aggro. And so for me, this has been really interesting because usually I'm like, how do I get Rassus and Amazon? And also get a damage in with Cursebreaker or Stormsire, excuse me, without him. Um, you know, overcommitting him. But now I'm just like, I don't care if he dies. I mean, obviously you want to be to be smart with your plays, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more risky with Stormsire, and I don't mind it because I know that eventually I'll have a second one online, and that person will do just as much damage. And if they're like, oh, maybe we should ignore Stormsire and kill Amos and Rassus, well then okay, now you have to fight Amos and Rassus, which they're probably inspired by now, and they're going to be hitting right. you pretty accurately. So. I think they got better offensively, but there's no change defensively, which I think is important because. Um, and I think can... I actually like that about it because yeah. I don't think I, I think sometimes maybe we talk a little bit too much about what we like and what we don't like, but or like what we think is good or what we think's not good for the game. But I think that. Um, you know, even though Chris Breakers have been good for a while, I don't mind them being still being good and being good in an interactful way. Um, and if they still have a pretty clear weakness, which is just hit them for four damage over and over again, um, I don't, I, I think I like that. I think it's cool that, uh, you know, they've risen up a little bit and maybe if they're able to, you know, keep Thorns and Grimwatch down a little bit, maybe it's fine. <laughs> so yeah. it's interesting. No. It's an interesting uh, sort of meta shift if, if we're going to start seeing a lot more curse breakers. So, and I, I mean, I know people have given them a lot of hate cause you know, they, they've been, they've been at the top sometimes as well, but um, they really haven't been at the top. Like they haven't been dominating. I wouldn't say um, for a little while. So uh, personally, I don't really mind, but yeah, I guess maybe I'm a bit biased, but I don't really mind curse breakers <laughs> doing well either. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, they haven't won anything. They've been close. Right. But they haven't won anything recently, at least. Um, Nightbolt is a different story, but, um, you know, we're three quarters of the way into Beastgrave now, and um, I think them being good is, is fine. I don't think they're oppressive. I don't think that, you know, mm-hmm. they're on this reign of terror like the Grimwatch are. Um, yeah. And so I think personally for me... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, I think personally for me, like I don't really mind if a warband's good for a while or if it's always good, um, as long as it's not dominating something. And as much as I would like, you know, all warbands to be good competitively, um, I'm wouldn't really ever expect more than you know seven or eight to actually be uh, at that top level. Um, so you know, if if Curse Breakers are just one of the good warbands competitively, then that's fine for me as long as they're not pushing anything out. And what I think they may actually be doing is raising up some of the hard aggro because the more, the better the aggro curse breakers gets, the better the warbands that beat them will get in response. So exactly. 
Um, I actually think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the next question. Um, this is from Eric Whitley. Curse Breaker's got some good stuff in the expansions. Biggest takeaway for me as far as the new cards go is how crappy the Worms spat faction objectives are probably the worst set so far this season. Their objectives feel straight out of season one, minus a couple. <laughs> um, what do you think about that? I think that's been a pretty uh, widespread thought, is that the worm spat cards are kind of low power. Yeah, and I don't necessarily want to say that, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that they're, they're crappy. I think that there probably was an intention for these warband faction objectives. I think that they do require a little bit more finesse, most certainly. But um, it, I will agree that there is a parallel to Season 1 um, in that it seems like the warband will take one to two cards, maybe three in total for the whole deck that are faction-specific. And then the rest are universals. And in that regard, it does very much feel like Season 1. I just don't think we've cracked the code on the worm spat. And I think that maybe not this season, maybe next season, or maybe the season after that, that they will find some sort of niche. But right now, I do feel like they are a little bit underdeveloped. But and not in, But again, it's. I just don't know if we've cracked the code. Like a parallel I can make here is Godsworn. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone thought they were atrocious. But one guy made everybody see the light, and then everybody started doing it, right? And mm-hmm. then three people got top 16 with an event, uh, you know? And I think that's really exciting. And I really look forward to the day that some dude or some girl plays Nurgle and, like, figures it out. I just don't think we're there yet. But maybe with the release of uh, whatever the next two warbands are. I know that Morgok's crushes have been announced at the uh, Toy Fair in New York. Um, maybe mm-hmm. there'll be some universals there that can do well with them. I, I feel like you've played them more than I have. What do you think? Um, yeah, I've played them a few different ways, um, and I've been talking to a few of the people on the discords and uh, on you know the main Reddit one or ours or the, the uh, some of the other ones. And I started out trying to do like uh, objective destruction, and they do that pretty well. Um, and then I've tried out the Seeping Rot Steadfast Defender combo, and that's pretty interesting. Um, I haven't tried playing objectives with them, although I know some people have, um, and they've actually done pretty well with that, I think. Um, I think the style that I like the most um, is the one that uh, is basically just all aggro. Um, uh, I think it was Mad Angry on the Discord um, shared his deck, and it was pretty much a straightforward aggro deck. And the cool thing about the Worm Spat is they have some of the best fighter stats um, in the game, I think. Like, as far as a three-fighter warband goes, um, once they inspire, I personally had a really difficult time killing them. Um, and then playing as them, it's pretty rare that I ever get wiped out. And sometimes I'll have two fighters left at the end of the game. Um, so I, I think that um, I think that their cards are kind of the weakest link right now. But a lot of that also has to do with the uh, just the current meta. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're an anti-objective warband. Um, I think they're a control aggro warband that specializes in beating other aggro. Agreed, 100%. Um, 
I think because, they yeah go ahead I think they're the perfect counter to aggro warbands and I think and I, I know you're on a roll there but I just really wanted to, to say this is that um, the day that aggro becomes dominant in this meta is the day we'll see a lot more Nurgles warbands because they just can last longer you can go pound for pound against um, Wild Hunt or Rippas, and you know if you roll shields, you'll be fine. And then you can hit back just as hard, which I find extremely fascinating. And you can actually make Fecula like a weapon caddy. Just give her a, a spear or a, a Nullstone Sword type weapon, and you can actually make her a close com- combatant as well. You don't even have to go into magic. And I think that's the really cool part about this Warband, is that they as you mentioned, can play control, but I I see them as like the anti-aggro-aggro warband, which I think is um, very fascinating, and I can't wait to see that come to fruition. Well, at least I hope it does. Yeah, and the thing that I think is really interesting about them is like if you think about playing Rippas into them, like that's kind of a nightmare um, because Rippas do mostly two damage, so a lot of the time that's going to end up being one damage. Um, it might be a little bit harder for the Wormspat to inspire against Rippas because they only have three fighters. But, I mean, Double Distraction, uh, maybe Sphere of Akshi, um, you know, different ping damage cards, and then really just excellent fighter stats. I mean, three hammers on uh, whatever the fat one's name is. Golgooch. <laughs> um, Golgooch, yeah. And then uh, when once she inspires, Fecula gets three hammers on her attack as well, which is great. Um, and then the uh, Septimus has great stats too. I mean, they're they're, they're really their problem is uh, sort of stopping the other person from outscoring them. Um, and but a lot of that is you know what you'll get through positioning, um, correct use of gambits. Like I think unmaking is great with them. You do a clutch unmaking that can win you a game. Um, and then they're just extremely hard to shift. I mean, I. I've had so many games where they'll get hit for four damage and I'll roll a shield and then I don't die. And then that's a whole other activation they have to spend. And I played against them. Uh, I was playing with uh, Zach Newcomb, I think. Um, And uh, I mean, I hit him for like four and he reduced it down to two. And it was just, it's so much work to chew through those fighters and Mm -hmm. you can give them health upgrades and, you know, so. Rerolls. Rerolls. Yeah. Like it's, it can be, it, it can be very difficult to chew through them. And I think with a good pilot behind them, I think there's definitely some play there. And, and honestly, I think, and I don't know, maybe this is unpopular, but I don't think every warband has to be like obviously powerful and obviously really good. Um, like for the game to be in a healthy state. Like I think it's, it may actually be good that there are some warbands that aren't like as obviously powerful and people have to figure them out and, um, try to find a way for them to work. Um, I mean, I know I enjoy doing that. Um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look at Eyes of the Nine for an example. Sure. You know, like there's always one dude who like does really well with them <laughs> at a grand clash, and you're just like, what is he doing? But he goes three and one, or yeah. he makes top sixteen, and you're like, whoa. Actually, I don't know if Eyes of the Nine have ever made top sixteen. So I take yeah, that back. they they did they in have. October at the one that uh, there Michael you go. Won. Yeah. At the largest. And that was yeah, Adam that largest. we played in Dallas. So Yeah, and he's great. I mean, that was probably one of the toughest games I've played at that event. Um, yeah. And he was playing Eyes of the Nine. 
Granted, he longboarded me twice, but, you know, <laughs> rise of the nine is crazy. So sure. I, I completely agree. Not every warband has to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Or, oh, that's so cool. No, like, <laughs> I, like again, Godsworn. Um, or even, you know, like, Chosen Axis. Like, they, they were like, they're not very, they don't look that good. Or I guess maybe that's the opposite effect. Maybe Chosen Axis look good, <laughs> but they're not. So maybe that's not a good example. But, um, you know, there's numerous cases. Wild Hunt, I think, is a great one. Where everyone's sure. like, Wild Hunt suck, blah, blah, blah. I can't do anything with them. <laughs> but then you have, like, people who, who take them to events and do consistently well with them. You know, I, or like Grash Racks to spoilers. People are like, I can't figure it out. I don't know why it doesn't work. Well, it's because they probably have a little bit of more thought into them, right? And, you know, like, again, you'll see, as you mentioned, proper pilots who can win local events. And, you know, who doesn't love those Beastman booties? <laughs> they they do have some... Uh, this, this actually seems to be the uh, booty season of Underworlds. If you yeah. look at Pretty much every warband that's come out, <laughs> except maybe Rippus. <laughs> the booty season. That's the booty fantastic. season. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I actually think it's, I actually, when a new warband comes out, I actually think I prefer when it's, I I don't think it's the new best thing that came out. Agreed. Um, and that now we have to figure out how to play it correctly and um, how to plan for it when we do see it. Um, I mean, so you know, it, it it it's it's very just just interesting, and I think that I'm sure there are some people that love Nurgle like more than anybody probably should, and I could see them being disappointed if this isn't the play style that they like. Um, but I think it's cool that it exists, and although I would probably prefer one or two um, more obviously useful cards, um, I don't think it's the end of the world, and I've been having fun with them. So yeah. I, there I think are, sometimes you have to temper your expectations and go from there. 100%. I don't think everything. I don't think every fighter has to do something cool. I don't think every warband has to have a crazy mechanic. Yeah. I think, you know, the best part about the game is figuring out what make what, what works and what doesn't. That trial and error is so crucial to this the fun of the game and the process. Um, and to you know the people who are disappointed that Nurgle isn't perhaps meeting their expectations. Um, at least you have a warband. I'm still waiting on my Slanesh warband. So uh, <laughs> true. You know, we've got two corn, one Zinch, and uh, um, I guess Godsworn are like undivided, like Warcry type people. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Nurgle are Nurgle, of course. So I'm just waiting for my uh, my purple Chaos Warriors. Or I would rather them not do demonettes, but you know who knows. Um. Uh, beggars sure. can't be choosers. Some of the new uh, uh, Age of Sigmar Slanesh models are amazing. Yeah. They look they look like the uh, dude from 300. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Xerxes, kind of, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just wish that there was like a mortal Slanesh chaos faction. Mm. As you know how there's like Black Kings and then there's like the Gore Chosen or whatever for the corn, and then there's Acolytes for Zinch. Like I'd right. like to see like human followers of Slanesh. So that's... Yeah. One of the reasons why I didn't pick up the Slanesh army for Age of Sigmar because, um, gotcha. But then my Chaos are, I know we're digressing now, but the Chaos, I got the Chaos Warriors uh, box set or battalion. Oh and, like, yeah. Like I'm all Slanesh-y, so. Very cool, and I assume they can take marks and stuff, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll give them Mark of Slanesh in every game, but yeah. they're going to be purple. Cool. Well, let's uh, move on through these questions. Um, this is uh, from H2 Coach. Um, this is just sort of his thoughts on the current meta. Um, I think I would echo a lot of these. Um, he says, both new warbands being mostly over 4 HP and Curse Breakers returning has made Glory Seeker incredibly consistent, which he loves. Um, he says, Amberbone Spear has been wonderful. Um, he won't leave home without it. Mm-hmm. Double distraction is fun and adds a layer of thinking to factions who don't have access to gory visage, etc. Makes sense. Um, all in all, I think the release is very similar to the Molog release. One war band is pretty simple and self-explanatory, and the other is going to take some experimenting and good playing to be consistent. So I think I agree with pretty much all of that. Um, I think that's a pretty good uh, way to sum up the recent meta. Yeah, actually, probably the one of the most accurate uh summaries i've seen i know he's playing wild hunt we've been talking about it on discord so i can see Mm -hmm. why the amber spear has been great um and i do really like um that last sentence you know one more band is pretty simple and self-explanatory the other is going to take some experimenting and good playing to be consistent he kind of just said what we've said for the last 15 minutes (laughs) we should have just read that one (laughs) i know I, i wish we had but um right thanks for those uh those thoughts coach um, the next one is from Chris Spark. He says, I think with the added distraction and leave nothing to chance, it has made building objectives harder. I feel it finally had to come to a tipping point where surge hold is good, but supremacy and other end phase objective cards are at serious risk. Players are starting to really tech obje- against objective play and incorporate that into their objective decks. Um, and I don't think I could agree more. Like, um, I think it's really cool that you could build a deck that by the second round could have destroyed two of the objectives. Um, I think Scorched Earth opens up for a lot of people. Um, and then just distraction. I mean, I, I like. would you run dug in still like with your LVO deck with two distractions out there? Two words. Hell no. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, let's see. This is the next one from Requizen. Uh, they say, as to the feedback, our local meta has found that Hrothgorn is extremely good and will likely be a big influencer on the Adepticon meta next month. I personally hope that he's better than Molog, or I personally think that he's better than Molog in a lot of ways, and the cat has a lot to do with that. Sir to... a lot. <laughs> yup. The, the best kitty we have so far, I think. Dude, he, he puts Riptooth to shame, just on pure aesthetics. Yeah. He's, and, and you don't even want to talk about Legain. <laughs> dude, I, I am so pissed about Legain. He's, yeah. he's, I love lions. Like, they're just so, such a like, graceful, <laughs> powerful predator. And we have a little, like, house cat. Like, he's, like, in similar size to, like, a lynx or a bobcat, which is really upsetting. So what I actually did is I got a white lion of Krace from the white lion chariot. Yeah. From the old uh, high elf kit. <laughs> and I... I run him as Legain, so he still has two wounds, but he looks really cool. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Then he says, uh, double distraction is ubiquitous, or three plus if your faction has more. <laughs> um, one side note is that even in the factions that can run three distractions, I've actually had a hard time fitting them in there. Yeah. Um, I think two is the sweet spot, but. Um, Unless you're going for something crazy like uncontested, maybe. Well, I think if you go like if you want to play aggro, you take three. 
Think so? Yeah, because uh, like Larry Harrow's or even Skaven kind of like that a lot. I mean, yeah. I think if you're playing Molog, why wouldn't you? you just make oh, I think Molog does. Yeah, you know, I think I think Molog probably does because movement is so important for him. But even in Condemners or uh, Steel Hearts, I think you take three. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, let's see. Uh, then he says Cryptic Companion is probably going to get restricted given how much free glory it gets you. Um, and he thinks Uncontested is nearly as good as Temporary Victory. Um, and I know he was a big fan of Dug In, I think. Pretty sure that was him. Um, then he says Worm Spatter likely fine, but only with good neutrals. Much like Season 1, they only have a handful of good cards and the rest are situational at best. Their preferred play style is a slow melee grinder, which just isn't how the game is played right now with the cards available. But that could change with the rotation in the future. Uh, I think that's a good point. Like, you know, maybe in season four or season five will be the heyday of uh, the worm spat. Yeah, I, I was alluding to that earlier, I think. Yeah. You know, now is not the time, but their time will come type of situation. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of war bands just do depend on what the universal cards are. And, you know, maybe we'll get into a situation where some of their more situational cards are more reliable. So. I think if the those new orcs are like super aggro-y and they the way their poses are, they just look super and they're orcs. I mean, why not? Um, yeah, I don't know how they couldn't be. Yeah, so like if they happen to do really well in the meta, then I think Nurgle will do well into them, maybe. So we'll yeah. see. Um the next one is Fish in a Bucket asks uh this is the start of the questions, I think. Um, if a new player was wanting to get into the game competitively, but they don't have the budget to buy more than two or three warbands, would either of the new warbands be worth buying and why? Um, what do you think? So I think that if a person is uh, just getting into the game competitively, but they only can buy two or three warbands just to start, and then they slowly buy the rest later, then I don't know if I would recommend buying so I guess I would assume that this question means that the person already has the starter set. Right. So if they own the Beast Grave starter set and they can only buy three warbands, I would make those warbands... Um, I guess I would say maybe not because they don't necessarily have... Actually, it kind of depends. Like If you want to play Magic, then you probably want to buy the Nurgle one. But mm. otherwise... I think there are some other expansions in the past that have some fantastic cards. Yeah. I think Ripa's is a great one. I think Goblins are a great one. I think Profiteers are a great one. So if you want to get access to a core set of cards, um, then you can probably look on Hexes and Warbands or Can You Roll a Crit or even uh, Well of Power, and you'll see some guides there. Um, but I think we would all recommend some form of the three I mentioned being in your two or three Warbands because the number of consistent non-restricted universal cards in those sets are pretty popular i would say that if you just want to get into the game right now just start with the beast grave stuff um yeah it's probably your best Grim, Grimwatch have a lot of really good cards too yes 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 and so i start think those with that. the ones i would go for yeah and then delve into nightbolt if you want um but if you're on a budget by the time maybe you get into nightbolt we already you know, go to the next season, and I mean, I guess it makes sense that Night Vault would rotate as well. So um, stick yeah, to what's true. You know, so stick to the the current set, and then if you got time, delve into the previous set. Yeah, I agree, and I think um, I know that you and 
uh, can you roll a crit? And uh, I think Underworld's Deckers also has a like a buying order guide mm. that I would recommend. I think I made the first one of those. I'm just gonna just gonna brag about that. But uh, did you? Um, or was I have not updated it. No, I, I believe I made the first one. <laughs> oh, okay. I think it was like my first post. I was like, we need this. It needs to exist. Yeah, yeah and then me and John just immediately dropped one. Me and yeah. John dropped one on the same day, which I That's thought was funny. very funny. Um, and yeah, that was I mean, before we communicated as often as we do now. Yeah, and it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's always good to have different perspectives. So. Agreed. Um, and it's one less thing I have to keep up with. So <laughs> I need to do an updated one. Stay tuned. Yeah, and I, I also would recommend the one Underworld's Deckers, I think, because what he does is he will, uh, it rates it by popularity. So Oh, so you he has, like, which... factual data backing his claims? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's so that's cool. pretty cool, yeah. Um, the next question is, favorite weapon so far, Shade Glass, Nullstone, or Amberbone? What do you think? Great Pearl Gun. Um, man, I miss Shade Glass Dagger. <laughs> But I also don't miss it. <laughs> so, um, I think Shade Glass were the best, but I think Amberbone might be the coolest ones we've seen so far. Yeah, I I agree with that assessment. But Rogue yeah. Choice, I'm gonna go with Nullstone because Nullstone Spear <laughs> has just yeah. been such Nullstone Sword and Nullstone Spear have been such good cards, yeah. and they don't go away after you hit. That's true, and they're they're a perfect like sweet spot where. They're not – you wouldn't ever need to restrict them, but they're just solid. Yeah. Um, so they're a great tool to have. I've probably enjoyed that one, Nullstone Sword, the most. Um, yeah, it's I'm, in almost all your decks. <laughs> I, I can't wait for an Amberbone Sword. Oh, but, yeah. But even then, like, I, I don't know if it's better, assuming that it, you know, is three smash and gives you an extra glory, but – because then you can only use it once. So it'll it'll be – it'll have its own place. Um, whereas I guess really the only shade glass ones that were good were the ones that could get you to four damage. Yeah. So. Or like the the, the ranged one because you could crit and that one didn't go away because apparently you just had an endless oh, five dark. glass you could throw. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I really like the nullstone weapons just because they exist. But to your point, you know what's worth more that two glory kill or the fact that your fighter can consistently combat through the game. Yeah, I think it's a cool. I think it's cool to have those options. So, and I, that's actually one of the things I, I really like about the way they've structured this game is how uh, the seasons will have a different weapon set. Mm-hmm. I'm cool. looking forward to the next one. Sure, which and it's confirmed because Masters. Yeah, yeah, they've said that uh, they're going to give out the starter sets. Um, it and also it's really cool that with the way that they're doing the cycle, like there'll be an overlap of like what weapons are available. So, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. assuming they keep up that um let me see we'll go to the next question um having had such regular success in tournaments what is your advice for creating consistency in performance uh, asked by compact what do you think about that yeah so um i've been very fortunate to be able to be so consistent um almost to a comical degree at this point <laughs> in some cases and I think the biggest thing for me is the meta. For creating consistency and performance, I think you really have to take a, a step back and look at the wider picture. And the wider picture is just understanding every Warband's capabilities 
what strategies they might be able to play and then making sure that your warband either has an answer for it or doesn't care about it. And I think if you can accomplish those things, you can get more consistent. Um, I also think that making the right meta call is huge, right? So some of the decks we were talking about earlier, you know, like one guy did really well within like face to warband or a matchup that he wasn't prepared for. And, and that kind of goes back to um, this game in general is that you have to prepare for every eventuality. And it's really hard because sometimes you just physically can't. So do you have enough glory in your deck to overcome those challenges? And then once you've created that deck and you've made that medical practice, like, dude, practice as much as you can. And practice against people that are better than you. Lose more often in your practice sessions than win. Whenever I practice for an event, my friends kick my butt. Because I want them to. Because if I'm winning my practice games, I'm not learning. So, and then when you finish a game, walk away with one thing that you do differently. Whether it's switch a card, or you're like, you know what? I shouldn't have drawn a card there. Or I shouldn't have charged there. I should have charged the next one. I should have drawn another because I probably would have drawn into something else. You know, like, there's a lot of decisions and micro decisions that you make in a game. But learning from that learning from those mistakes, learning from those wins and those correct plays is equally important because that's how you get consistency. Um, and luck goes a long way too. Um, so uh, if you're not lucky, I really believe that luck is something that, like there's there's blind luck that just happens to random people. Like you find a briefcase on the side of the road with a million dollars in it, that's blind luck. But I also believe that there's a different kind of luck. And you have to increase your chances of getting lucky. And the way you do that is by putting in the proper habits and techniques and practice so that when your time comes to get lucky, you do get lucky. Um, I know this is kind of turning into some sort of like motivational thing, but um, it's the truth. I mean, I, I work in a, uh, a tech company and, you know, like sometimes when you work with customers, like deals happen and they don't. But if you spread out and talk to as many customers as you can and make sure that you practice your your pitch and you talk about the correct products and you find their pain points and you practice going through those conversations, you will end up getting more lucky because you'll end up finding a solution. Same thing applies to this game. Just increase your chances of getting lucky. And I think that really comes down to practice. So TLDR play a lot of games. (laughs) Yeah. I, I would, I think the only thing I would add to that is just when you are playing and when you're practicing, um, Try to do it as like actively as possible. Um, try to like pull apart your decisions and what worked and what didn't work. Um, <clears throat> there's there's kind of like a ruthlessness to this game with what works and what doesn't. Um, the things that work work very well, and the things that don't work just tend to not work. Um, like good cards are good, and the bad cards you just never see them. Um, <clears throat> and I think you have to be. I, th- I think sometimes you might want to play something that, uh, you know, might not be as good. And I think you have to be able to recognize that. Um, I think sometimes you'll make mistakes and the tendency will be to not want to admit that you made mistakes, but you you kind of have to. Um, you'd be hard on yourself and, like, realize that you made the mistake and then learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, really, the more honest you can be with 
like what's working and what's not working and what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and then just move forward um the better so i think um i think that would be my advice and then you know just play and i i think in addition to um i think you're absolutely right that you want to play people that are better than you um i think that playing people of all skill levels could be uh really useful i think if you play people that are way better than you um you'll learn what you're doing wrong because they'll punish your mistakes more um i think if you're playing people that are newer um you'll see what mistakes they're making Mm -hmm. because um you'll be you'll recognize them and then punish them and then if you play people that are equal skill level you'll tend to um both make mistakes a lot more and you can learn from that as well Um, i think that's a great point so i i think you just, I mean, you just want to play everybody and play as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Teaching the game to other people and telling people why things are good choices um, can also be really helpful. Yeah, and I do want to echo one more thing: is the honesty uh, aspect of it. Uh, just sure. be as honest with yourself as you can. Um, I've, I think we've all been in a place. I can't. I don't think anyone can say they have it, where they've like blamed a loss on a dice. Um, I've done it. Um, you know, I've heard you complain to me a couple of times and I've read so many people complain about it, uh, but it, it actually really doesn't come down to it. I think like you can get extremely unlucky, like you can roll way below average. And I think that is a huge factor. But like my favorite game that sticks out to me to this day was playing against Jimmy at Nova because it came down to do I take a 66 percent chance roll or do I not? And I thought that was such a cerebral moment for me, which I failed to uh, to read correctly. And so I lost that game because I failed to understand the game state, the likelihood of cards in my opponents had, what those cards could be. And had I taken the risk and succeeded, which, again, I was above average likelihood to succeed, the game would have would have completely shifted the other way. And I would have scored into a crap ton of glory. But in this situation, uh, you know, when two people are playing a pretty similar skill, as you mentioned, you're you're more prone to see mistakes from both players. And so I will always take that different line of play moving forward if I'm ever in that same situation because of that experience. And I think, you know, winning is awesome. But I'm going to be honest, if I had won half the Grand Clashes finals I played in, I wouldn't be performing so consistently because I, I'm hungry. I, I want to be better, and I take every loss in the final very hard uh, to the point where, like, Jonathan questions if I'm having fun sometimes, right? And, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I, I am having fun, but I'm just really hard on myself. And I think if you want to be a competitor and you want to do well and you really want to, you know, crush national and international events then you have to take it a bit seriously and some people like jonathan and i we are fortunate that we have the time to put into this game um but if you have a limited number of time then i would just say again like if you're gonna play games it's equally important to reflect on that game whether you're taking the tube home or you're driving home or you've got an uber or you're walking think about those games think about what you did right but most importantly, think about what you didn't get right. 
because that right there, the combination of that too, as Jonathan has also alluded to, is what's going to make you play better. Um, and then you'll know. You're like, oh, my opponent moved their fighter backwards instead of forward. Okay, I know what deck they're playing. Like you need to you need to be on that level to be able to you know play at a high level consistently. And there are a lot of people that successfully do it in every country. Um, and I think it's I don't think it's that outlandish to be able to get to that level. But you got to put in the work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we could have a whole episode on this kind of thing, really. Um, it's very, very interesting. And I think it's what we like about playing this game is that sort of that process of self-improvement um, and then seeing the results. So um, <clears throat> let's go to the next question. It is, let's see, with the new Org Warband revealed, what differences are you hoping to see between them and the Iron Skulls boys to make them competitive and unique? Um for me, I just hope they have a lot of really good cards. <laughs> I'm hoping they do more than one damage. Yeah, that would be nice too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting because there's only three of them. Um, I think maybe because I tend to think about it less like thematically and more like uh, mechanically. Um, I'm more curious about what their... Um, uh, like how they're going to work compared to the other three-man warbands, like Condemners and um, Curse Breakers and all that. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to see how they do, like how they do more three-man warbands and have them all be different. So um, they look like they're going to be aggro. So it'll be interesting, especially how different they are from uh, Condemners. I hope they're not oppressive aggro. Um, I would love for them to be very good at it. Uh, yeah. but I just don't want it to be like an aggro fest, which actually, I mean, there's a purity to that, which I think is fine. Um, well, and also I think there's only like so much power that a three man warband can have if they don't have magic and it doesn't look like they do. No. Um, because I mean, one of the reasons that curse breakers are so good is cause you can, you know, just have one wizard in the middle of the other player and then cast like a bunch of spells all at once. Um, if you're relying on actions and attack actions and movement and things like that, like uh, three fighters can only be in so many places at once. So uh, I'm hopeful that it, it wouldn't be too oppressive, even if they are just like all out aggro. Yep, yep. And I hope they have a cool mechanic too. I mean, someone on Discord pointed out that the, some of the, the counters, the counter mm -hmm. set had like some orc faces on them. So yeah, um, I think. Um, I, I, hopefully they're they're actually useful. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, not I mean, like some of the the like the Grimwatch of their um their little feast guy. Yeah, or like the wild <laughs> form. There's like three wild forms in there. Yeah, yeah, I was Which, a little. So I mean, that one. I think it's a really cool idea. I wish there were acrylic, uh, but moving on, I think. You know, <laughs> seems like there's some sort of there's a lot in there. So. Yeah. Who knows? But um, I want them to. I want them to be tough. I want them to hit semi-decently and then eventually hard. And I want them to have a clear weakness, um, but not necessarily one that's extremely exploitable. Sorry, my dog's going crazy. Yeah. He, like he, a, just, he wants them to be very good, too. 
Yeah, it looks like you got Ripa in the house or something. <laughs> I got a snarl fang. Um, we'll go to the next one, which is actually related. Um, DDC asks, it's looking like the remaining warbands are either going to be fully or at least partially aggro-oriented. Do you feel we're on a trajectory to a meta where aggro becomes properly viable again at top level by the end of the season? Um, what do you think? Uh, in the interest of time, short answer, yes. Yeah. I think we've talked about this already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like uh, Chris kind of mentioned, we're sort of at the tipping point now where maybe aggro with the right tools can beat objectives. So uh, hopefully it just keeps moving that direction. Um, it'd be an interesting arc for this season, I think. Yeah. Um, I think this is our last question. Um, or not quite. Um, besides a gift pack, we've not seen any additional products such as card packs or boards. Um, do we think we'll get any more of those? Asks Mad Angry. Um, I mean, it's hard to speculate, but I would say probably. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. again, as you mentioned, hard to speculate. Um, I think precedent would say maybe, yes. I mean, we had leaders pack in Power Unbound. So yeah. maybe there's something else. Um, I mean, we had a, we've had a board and a card pack each season, so I, I would assume so. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair assumption. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, next one is, how's community... Uh, this is from uh, Jared with the Battle Mallet. Um, how is community development going? What's one thing you found as a player that helps grow a community? Uh, what's one thing that didn't work as well as you expected, hoped? Um, this is something I've been trying to do recently. Um, honestly, the biggest challenge is just getting everyone's schedules to line up. I think, um, especially in the Dallas area where a lot of, we're kind of spread out. So even though we might have like 12 people that play the game or so, like in the local area, it's kind of hard to get more than a few of them together at once. So I'd say that's my challenge recently. I would say that um, my community development has been rather poor. Um, I'm, it's it's insane to me, but, you know, like all the Underworlds community, like switched to Super Smash Bros. It's like not <laughs> even, it's not even the same genre. I was like, did you guys play another board game? But they're all playing Super Smash. Um which is awesome. Great game. I really enjoy it. I own it. But, um, you know, I, I'd rather spend my time playing Underworlds, of course. But um, my meta <laughs> sure. here is really tough, non-existent. Like, you know, there was someone I was playing with, like, once a week, every week. And then, like, I canceled one week. He canceled the next. And then we just haven't seen each other since. So I don't want to say I've given up on the Austin community. Um, but I think, I, I mean, I really helped build the Houston one. And it's unfortunate I don't, like, live there anymore, even though I try to go to as many events as I can on the weekend when I go visit my family. Um, I think with the Austin community, I'm kind of at a point where I'm just like, eh. You know, like, I, I can, if I need to get my games, and I can get my cam games in. So right. I, to, to answer the last question that Jared asked, what's one thing that didn't work as well as you expected or hoped? Uh, the Austin community. Um, they're dominated by Age of Sigmar. And mm. then... You know, the people who are more interested in Underworlds are now playing Super Smash. So, um, Yeah, and I, I have a pretty good core group in Dallas of like maybe four people that I get to play regularly and then uh, maybe another four or six that, you know, are more intermittent. But 
Um, yeah, hopefully we can get schedules working together and have some more uh, big meetups because uh, that is kind of the fun of the, the game. When we do a tournament, we might have six to eight, so that's not too bad. But um, just have to yeah. keep it up, I guess. And hopefully uh, maybe we can get some more people into it But because um, there's going to be the Grand Clash in Dallas. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully well, we'll at I least wanna... get people to travel in. Yeah, I mean, I might start going to Dallas on the weekends just to get some, you know, events in because yeah. um, I'm not getting any in Austin. Like some stores just stopped ordering the organized play kit, actually. So. Oh yeah. It's kind yeah, of and I and I've been to Houston, I think, once or twice. So maybe I'll be able to do that again. So, and then I, I know that um, I'm sure a lot of people will travel for the uh, Grand Clash, but. Um, that's that's something that I've I've been working on and I want to continue to work on. So yeah, you're doing the Dallas Open as well. Um, we may have an event at the Dallas Open, but um, I'm not sure if it'll be uh, a skirmish or just a just like a store box or not. But well, I am uh, gonna be real buddy buddy with the GW guys at Adepticon, so yeah, I'll try to do some fishing <laughs> for you. Yeah, I think the timing on it is just a little bit strange. It's a month before the Grand Clash, so I don't know how many people will want to travel. So, hey man, I'll um, come and play Wild Hunt. <laughs> right. Um, let's go to the next question. Uh, best aggro warband in the current meta. We can probably keep these quick. Um, what do you think? As much as I want to say Wild Hunt, it's Rippers. <laughs> it, it's probably Rippers, yeah. But I think like Wild Hunt's close. Yeah. I also think Curse Breakers can be played very well aggro, but I think Rippers is, is is just a bit more tuned in that direction. Yeah, and I almost consider Curse Breakers to be like their own thing as a magic warband. But it is it is pretty aggro. So if, if we're counting them, then maybe them. Um, next question. Uh, kind of already covered this. In our opinion, do the new warbands and cards shake things up enough or is it a story of the rich got richer i think they shake things up a little bit <laughs> i still think the rich got richer i think we're moving in the right direction but i'd like to see it move more i would say we're trending <laughs> next one based on what we've seen with magic in general and curse breakers and beast grave do you think the game could support a warband with two spellcasters, or should one per warband be the norm that's interesting yeah, actually, that's kind of like one of my hopes, is that we do see a warband with two spellcasters, but they're both relatively weaker. Um, and I think it'd be really cool if um, they were both weak spellcasters, but maybe they get stronger when the other one dies, or if they're next to each other, they can combine their powers. I think the problem, or the challenge, rather, with Curse Breakers is you have two like mediocre wizards and then one one of the strongest wizards ever. Um, but in a warband that could support two spellcasters, I think it could work. I think you'd have to be very careful of what universals you allow in the pool. Um, so this is probably going to be a warband that's a couple of ways out. But additionally, um, I don't know if spellcasting should be their primary function. It should maybe accentuate their characteristics and their abilities, but they should not be defined as spellcasters. They should be defined as melee slash ranged combatants with spellcasting abilities. And only then do I think does it work. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think it could also work if um, they're very easy to kill and there are a lot of fighters. Like uh, if Eyes of the Nine had, if the two guys were wizards and they just died easily, that would be fine. I think mm-hmm. it's the curse breaker combination of uh, enough wizards to use all the magic cards they want and then also being very tanky and sort of controlly in general um, that makes it seem like a problem. If Godsworn had two more wizards, for example, um, you could take magic cards, so it would open up different builds, but you would still still have to like go aggressive. Um, and it would just be more like a utility thing that you could use. Agreed. The problem right now is it's kind of like almost all or nothing. Um, and like maybe you take one spell if you don't if you have one wizard. Um, but you don't usually want to take more than that. So yeah, it's like the Elthari problem, right? Like when right. magic was good, that warband was great. But now yeah. that they can't abuse magic, um, that warband isn't as good as it was anymore because it's too much weight for one model to carry. So. Right. And when magic was good enough for them to be top tier, curse breakers were like god tier. So. Yeah, but yeah. interestingly, you know, guardians were winning events. Um, yeah, weirdly, guardians like <laughs> guardians beat the curse breaker matchup because of their speed. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they don't need to inspire, right? But curse breakers pretty much were beating everything else, so that yeah. was a weird like slice of the meta. Uh, and also for whatever reason, because curse breakers were so good, um, Godsworn were also really good because <laughs> mm-hmm. they love killing curse breakers. Yeah, but I don't think Godsworn are as good into uh, Iltharis, so it was a, it was an yeah. interesting meta. Because my boy Galligan. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I definitely had. Um, the archer Allo, kill himself on Galligan a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want them to be good again, just because like I never really played them as much. Yeah. Probably one of my few regrets from Nightbolt. Um, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to see like a six fighter warband with like two level one wizards or something. Like that'd be awesome. Yeah. Or maybe like, like a like a three, four, five man warband with like. Like, again, two wizards who have, like, a wizard action, but don't necessarily, like, need any oh, yeah. sort of, you know, like, again, like, the whole point is, like, they are both melee combatants, but they have, like, a, an ability that accentuates their game plan. That's, like a, like, a utility that, again, first and foremost, they're not wizards. They have <laughs> wizard-like characteristics, but mm. their primary function is not to abuse magic or spam magic or rely on magic rather like you can yeah. use the magic to make them better melee or ranged combatants. So like, I think it'd be really cool if someone could like power up a bow with like a, like, like a fire, like fairy fire or like magical fire before mm-hmm. firing it. So they cast a spell on themselves and then, or they're able to cast a power card that has like that's four wizards in their faction, in the power step to make their capabilities better. So I think yeah. that's really cool. Um, because a, it's not a guarantee because sometimes that's a bit boring. But number two, it's like, well, I still want to take magic cards because you know it's cool. Like, right. you know, what if he's in the middle of battle and he needs to like light his arrow on fire, but like he's so distracted that his magic fails. Like, there's a narrative <laughs> there, right? Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of people who play this game don't really care much about the narrative. Conversely, I know a lot of people who care too much about the narrative. But I think – don't forget that this is like a Warhammer game, right? 
And so the narrative and what the models are doing on the battlefield is cool. And it's cool to envision some of these things. Um, and so I would really like to see that. Um, and hopefully, you know, someone's listening and, and they can make that happen. But uh, probably <laughs> yeah. not because I threw it out into the universe. The um, I also wonder, like, would people think the curse breakers were like overpowered or that they were abusing magic if other people could actually use it effectively? <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Maybe maybe the problem is less them and just that like no one else is really good at it. So. Yeah, like it would be really interesting to see if maybe Galligan was a wizard as well, or sure. you know, like Drizgit was like a squig mage. I don't know if that exists, <laughs> but like you can make it work, right? <laughs> Like, or, or like, uh, you know, like Grawl maybe had some magical power. Like, you don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> but the thing is, is that you, there, there, I feel like there could have been some more wizards. And I yeah. think, because like, that was when magic was the new thing, you know, it was the shiny new toy. Um, but you kind of gave us like the dessert in the, in the, in the starter <laughs> set with like, yeah. a, you know, cause I saw that I was like, wow, a warband with all mages dang, that's going to be cool. I hope to see a lot more. And then, like, half of them weren't magic-related, and then the ones that were had one wizard. Um, so yeah, that is interesting. But um, Let's go to our very last question. Um, this is from Compaq again. Do you think Buried Instinct is going to be an auto-include for many objective-based decks to prevent drive-back, but also for its ability to block Potion of Rage? I don't think we've really talked about that card yet. What do you think about Buried Instinct? Yeah, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with this card, uh, play this during enemy's fighter's attack action that targets a friendly fighter before the attack roll. Give that friendly fighter one guard token. If that yeah. friendly fighter is a quarry, you can also reroll one dice in defense for that attack action. Um, I think this is a pretty strong card. It's pretty niche in that, yes, it blocks Potion of Rage. It also gives you that coveted guard token so if you're trying to stay on objectives or not get pushed into a lethal hex it kind of ruins your opponent's game plan especially if they're relying on snare or pit trap um i don't know if everyone takes it um i think there is a a place for it in some decks but i don't believe it's an auto include for objective based decks i think while it, it it has a great position there um it's not an auto-include for me. Yeah, interestingly, I don't think about it as an objective uh, card as much as I think about it as a durability um, card for somebody with two defense dice, um, particularly two dodge. Um, I think it's excellent on Lady Harrow's. I think it's excellent on the Queen. Um, but I wouldn't... It's not so much for the objective aspect of it. I don't mm-hmm. see it as... I mean, the, the funny thing about Guard is that when Guard came out and it stopped the drive back, everyone thought like, oh, wow, this is going to help objectives. And I think I probably thought that too. But what it turns out is what you really want to be on, the fighters that really want to be on guard are the big fighters that are going to take that first hit and then be immune to the lethal push, the snare, um, pit trap, things like that. Um, So like, I think Rippas take this card because, you know, going from two defense dice, one dodge to going on guard and you know it, it's great um, yeah. i think rothgorn might take this card um just because he really does not want to get pushed um i think harrow's definitely take it 
Um, so that's how I see the card. I think if you are playing Steadfast Defender, um, if you're playing uh, Worm Spat, and you want to do the Seeping Rot Steadfast Defender combo, I think you take it. But um, to me, the biggest thing is the not being pushed, and then going from two dodge to two dodge on guard is a massive durability defense upgrade. So Mm -hmm. I don't really care about staying on the objectives because I think at this point, all your objective scoring for the most part is going to be surges. Right. Unless you're running like, you know, supremacy dug in or covet spoils. (sighs) Right. Right. Um, I think, I think those got a lot harder to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, clearly not as hard as we thought they'd be uh, due to a second place deck, but at, at the Prague open, um, I think that's a great point. I think I didn't even think about that. I think uh, putting this on Rippers is a, is a great idea, and uh, I, it just kind of gave me flashbacks because I was remembering. I was like, I, there was a lot of times when I was playing against them where I was just trying to like finish them off and bump them into a lethal hex. Yeah, um, it's kind of like a, a reaction version of uh, sudden in, or survival instincts. Yes, that's that's exactly what parallel is about to make. Is that you're able to effectively protect two fighters uh, in your warband and in a three-man warband, pretty solid. Yeah. Because the guard token doesn't go away unless you charge. So. Yeah, I mean, at least it's it's not nearly as uh, powerful as Survival Instinct because it only lasts for that one round, and if you charge, it goes away. But um, still a great card. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think that is uh, it for our questions. Is there anything else you wanted to add or uh, mention before we go? Um. Yeah, actually, well, not necessarily talk about it too much, but, uh, you know, it's been a while since we got a Forsaken and Restricted list, and it's been a while since we got an FAQ. So um, have you come up with any things that might need to be FAQ'd or or any discussions you've seen online? Because I know usually they do an FAQ after a new Warband drops, and we just haven't seen one yet, and we're getting perilously close to some of these larger events. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of outstanding um, FAQ questions where we're really just not sure how the, the rules work. Um, I know that the uh, the Reddit Discord is great at bringing those up, and sometimes we're able to figure them out. Like, every time new cards come out, there's always questions. Um, but I'll, I'll keep an eye on that Discord, and if I can help clear it up, I will. But um, I also send a lot of emails to the um games workshop uh faq email and you know a lot of the time those questions will get answered so I, i've sent a number of them already but uh, thankfully it's nothing too crazy right now like the guy like the game's not broken um but there are a few things where we're not really sure how it works yeah I mean, like what steadfast defender is kind of a weird one because the way it's worded it's worded very similarly to the ones that uh score this after an activation it says score this after an attack action so like there's a little bit of a question of whether or not like um you would you need to still be on the objective after any reactions Mm -hmm. um it's one of those things where rules is written because it doesn't say you don't then you're probably fine even if you do get pulled off by like rothgorn's reaction because after the attack action you were still on it but it's possible that maybe that's not how they intend it to be so Right. Um, I don't know. There's always little questions, but I, I I'd have to look in my email to see exactly what uh, what they were. But that was that's probably the biggest one where we just don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
So I was just looking at my Discord, and it looks like we did get a question. Um, this was in my inbox. Oh, okay. Uh, but from Magor, um, which is a great name. Um, if you had to pick three restricted cards, which cards would be and why? Do you want to take that one first? Hmm. Um, sure. I would say... Uh, maybe Survival Instincts. Um, it's really good. Uh, it's also really good for, like, a few warbands that are already really good, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, like, not very good for a lot of other warbands that aren't very good. <laughs> so, um, I also think that being on guard forever is just maybe too good. Um, I also think a lot of people would still take it. I'd probably still take it on Rippa's. Um, I'd probably still take it on Harrow's. And that's kind of like the test for me. Um, what else? Uh, maybe Cryptic Companion, just because it's pretty silly. Um, uh, maybe unpopular pick would be I think they should distra- uh, get rid of one of the distractions. I'm actually not a fan of there being two of them. Um, or at least there being two of them unrestricted. So maybe those would be my three. I see. I think uh, I would agree with two of the three yeah. pick there. Um, I guess I'll answer the question myself. Um, I agree that survival instincts probably needs to get hit. I think uh, the criteria that they've mentioned in the past is consistency and and power power. Um, and I think it hits both of those. It's in a lot of decks. Um, it's in too many, in fact unpopular opinion um i'd like to get rid of two steps forward or not get rid of it that's terrible way to phrase it but restrict the card um i think uh it's it's just too good of a a push for some of those warbands that need to score glory just by standing on it and uh you can set this up for like in the name of the king or a temporary victory pretty easily and uh, a lot of warbands uh, take it and i think yeah it might hurt a little aggro build but i'm not really seeing many aggro decks that take it as well yeah um, that makes sense yeah and then another one is uh i would say cryptic companion as well just because uh yeah passive glory is uh a bit too powerful at times in this game yeah and i think the only reason i say distraction is because I just don't like it's it's such an obviously good card and you are obviously going to take it in both like you're going to take two of it in, in most decks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's actually like a balance issue. Um, so maybe it doesn't need to be restricted. I guess my fourth one would be maybe frenzied search. I think it's a little bit too good at what it does. Um, yeah. And it's particularly good for objective war bands and how they need power cards to sort of secure their surges anyway. Yeah. So. I just feel like it's part of the the issue that uh, I think it going restricted would make aggro better. I think all of our changes would generally make aggro better. Yeah. Which, which funnily enough, is what we want, I think. Yeah, I think absolutely we do. I I 100% want aggro to be more of the norm, rather. Yeah. Um, Because it's more interactive and it's more fun, in my opinion. Um, And uh, I think outwitting your opponent while also having an element of dice being more um, integral to the game state is right. 
more in tune with the idea of Underworlds, which is an arena combat game. Yeah, I think so. And I think even with those changes, we would still have, um, you know, interesting decks like the Rothgorn deck we saw with the Man Trappers and yeah. um, things like that. It just might be a little, uh, you might have to create a little bit more balanced of a deck or sort of only go into that play style a little bit. Um, but I don't think that would be a bad thing if it opens up more play for more warbands and uh, sort of spreads out the power a little bit. So. Well, yeah, and also it gives a shine or an opportunity for control to shine, which, you know, because control in theory beats aggro. Yeah. So yeah. there'll be some and, innovative decks as well. Yeah, and I think that's probably why that Hrothkorn deck did so well is because it, there was a lot of aggro at that event. So. Yeah, exactly so. Yeah. All right, well, uh, cool. Anything else uh, you got? Nope. Um, I'm just, uh, I think that's it for me. So we'll go ahead and close out the episode here. Um, so thank you guys for listening. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook at path to glory podcast. You can all follow us at Twitter at path to glory podcast. You can follow us on Podbeam, where you can find the show notes for this episode as well. We are on Spotify. You can rate us there and on iTunes. Um, thank you so much for listening. We wish you the best of luck on your path to glory nice